Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. Today, three Horatio Hornblower Adventures. The Admiral Hornblower Adventures were the literary creation of C.S. Forrester, who took actual stories from British naval heroes Lord Nelson, Sir George Cockburn, Lord Cochrane, Sir Edward Pillou, Jeremiah Cochrane, Sir James Gordon, and Sir William Host. The actions of the Royal Navy at that time, documented in official reports, provided much of the material for Hornblower's fictional adventures. And by the way, the name Horatio was inspired by the character in William Shakespeare's Hamlet, and chosen also because of its association with contemporary figures such as Nelson. Today, three hornblower stories. A shaky, a shaky alliance with El Supremo, a battle against El Supremo, and Lydia Jones sinks the Natividad. All three are full of action and adventure, and we hope you enjoy them. Reviews for 1001 Radio Days are always appreciated. Thank you. Call all hands. Beat to quarters. Run out the guns. Stand by this tower battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Linstock's ready. Aye, aye, sir. Ready. Fire! Presenting Michael Redgrave as C.S. Forrester's Indomitable Man of the Sea, Horatio Hornblower. transcribed the story of the fabulous Horatio Hornblower, wedded since early youth to Britain's ships and Britain's destiny at sea, adventuring across the seven oceans as midshipman, as lieutenant, as captain of the line, Hornblower has seen the threatening shadow of Napoleon Bonaparte fall on half the world, has himself even been Napoleon's prisoner of war in France. But now, respite has come, home again in England, laden with honors, Relieved from duty by his king, ex-Captain Hornblower can relax at last. The year is 1812. When you've been many years at sea, it sometimes seems a little difficult, I might even say arduous, to live ashore. Especially when your lovely wife, your adored recent bride, rather expects you to become a country gentleman. Well, life is made up of change, they say, but... For an old sea dog, new tricks come harder than for other breeds, I think. Well, there I was, not long returned from confinement in France as the unwelcome guest of Bonaparte, granted a knighthood, happily married to my enchanting Lady Barbara, free of all financial cares at last, and yet... And yet, oh, 
Yes, I knew it for my fault, but somehow there in the quiet English countryside, I hadn't quite come home as yet. Ooh, ooh, more bath water, sir. Oh, heaven forbid. It's mostly on the deck, the, the floor already, isn't it? Oh, tin tub the size of a teapot. A fine way for a grown man to bathe himself. Yeah, all right, I've had enough. Give me that towel, Brown. Don't slip, sir. What a ridiculous contrivances. Give me a wash deck pump and gallons of cold seawater. Remember, Brown? Oh, I remember, Sir Horatio. Yes, belay that, Sir Horatio. Old terms are good enough, aren't they, you idiot? Yes, sir. It's a lovely morning, sir. Is it? Oh, yes, yes, I suppose so. <clears throat> still and quiet. It's very quiet. It's queer. When I wake here, I still keep listening for the sounds, rattle of blocks, the cordage wheezing, and... Oh, well, never mind. I've laid out your new suit, sir. What do you mean, that tight buff-coloured thing? It's a beautiful suit, sir, I think. Oh, do you? Tight trousers, fancy coat, flowered waistcoat, and a stock. Oh, I'll never draw an easy breath in that confounded choker. Oh, well, let's get it on. Mustn't keep Lady Barbara waiting downstairs for her breakfast. Welcome to the new squire of Smallbridge. Now, you're laughing at me. You know perfectly well, Barbara, how I felt about that insufferable ceremony yesterday. So, squire, indeed. Oh, huh. I do know, my dear, and you were sweet. Suffering it all without complaint. Mm -hmm. Only the faintest glare of defiance now and then during the speech-making. <laughs> Coffee, dear? Thank you. Well, what do we have planned today? I thought that you and I might drive across the Downs this morning. Uh-huh. Of course, you said you had a lot of reading you'd been putting off. Gibbon, well, was it? Well, yes, I... Uh, yes, I do want to get at that. It's, um, <clears throat> Yes, quite soon, in fact. A letter for you, Sir Horatio. Oh, oh, thank you, Wiggins. The messenger is waiting, my lord. He is from the Admiralty in London. The Admiralty? The Admiralty, eh? Darling, it... It couldn't be... Yeah, listen to this. The Lord's Commissioners request that I present myself at once. A, a matter of extreme importance which cannot even be discussed except in... Uh, hey, Wiggins, where's Brown? Tell him to get out my best uniform and sword. Tell him to pack my things for the night. And look, tell him that... You're I... going to London right away? Well, my love, the letter says at once. Remember, we're still at war with Bonaparte. Now, off with you, Wiggins. Uh, tell Brown I'll be upstairs immediately. And I want him to drive me. We we'll take the chariot. I wished I didn't need to look at her just then. After the first surprise, she would try so hard to appear calm and, and pleased that I was pleased. I hadn't been quite frank with her, perhaps. To be exact, the letter asked whether or not I would accept a new appointment. I, I didn't know what to say to Barbara, but... Oh, my dear, it's merely for the night. I'll be back in the morning, um, whatever this amounts to. Yes, for a day or so, perhaps. Oh, just look at you, brazen child. Excited as a midshipman. Oh. It's breaking over you in waves. Do you suppose I don't see it? Oh, my dear, when... Well, when the Admiralty itself... I, 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 well, I must at least find out. I know what you'll find out. Wild horses couldn't hold you now, of course. Do you know how long we've lived here at Smallbridge? Why, I... Two months. Two months tomorrow, I... <laughs> oh, dearest, I've always known. Retirement simply isn't in your line. It's a great honour to be recalled so soon. You must be pleased. And I am too. If they... Um, if they appointed me a, a, a Commodore, well, they might, you know. Well, well, if they did, I... I might have to go back to sea again. Darling, we've been married six whole months. 
a wonderful half year. I've had that much of happiness with you. And whatever happens, you'll come back to me. I know you will. Of course I will. Oh, Barbara, Barbara, I swear you're a woman in 10,000. She was, you know. In all my life, I'd said no truer word than that, I told myself as we drove up to London. Well, we made excellent time. Brown knew his business with horses. I never understood the peculiar beasts. Uh, Brown was good at everything. Best captain's coxswain in the Navy, and, and now the perfect manservant. Still, I rather thought he mightn't mind going back to sea again. There was a queer look in his eye, especially when we drew up before the Admiralty in Whitehall and I was ushered in to the First Lord. Sit down, sit down, Captain Horatio. Well, you, well. Left your newfound domestic bliss behind, eh, when you uh -huh. received our letter? Well, may I ask what it is you have in mind for me, sir? Of course you may. The Baltic, Horatio. The Baltic? Is Russia coming into the war, then? Who knows? I wish I did. That very question's at the heart of this whole project. Uh, our letter did say, didn't it, that you'd take rank as Commodore with a captain under you. You'd have six ships. The Nonsuch, 74, a ship of four. The Nonsuch? I know her well, sir. Both the Russian Tsar and Prince Bernadotte of Sweden have teetered back and forth for months, you know. Well, from all I've heard, Boney's making tempting offers to them both. And, and Bernadotte's a Frenchman, after all. Uh, is there really any chance that they might join us, sir? They might, if we handle them sensibly. They have as much fear as we now Boney's gobbled up most of the continent. The die will be cast any day, we think. Uh, if we can show those Baltic powers some British naval strength to count on. I understand, sir. At any rate, we've got to keep the Baltic open for supplies. Mm -hmm. So much that we need here comes by those sea lanes. Well, are you ready? Is it settled? Yes, it's settled. Good. Now tell me, who would you like for captain of the nuns, uh, you? I'd like to have Bush, sir, if he's available. I'd hate to go to sea without old Bush. I rather thought you'd ask for him. That wooden leg of his won't be a handicap, you think? Oh, I think not, sir. You two have seen some things together, haven't you? First met as young lieutenants on the old renown. That's right, sir. Well, then, Bush it shall be. Now, then, let's walk across and see the Foreign Secretary. He's sure to have some secret orders for you. Time had come to say goodbye to Barbara. She drove with me from Small Bridge to Deal Jetty. The Nunsuch and the five others of my pretty new squadron lay far offshore, half lost in morning mist. Brown was looking much too pleased. I had to take him down a little. Uh, stop mooning at those mastheads, Brown. Go hire a lugger man to take us out. Step lively now. Yes, Captain. Commodore, that is. Aye, aye, sir. Wind's veering norad a little. West by north now, I think. Yes, dear. So you remarked as we were driving. I beg your pardon, dear. You were telling me about my shirts. I interrupted you. <laughs> no, I'd finished with the shirts. What I was saying was that all your cold weather things are in the flat sea chest. Mm -hmm. The sheepskin coat and heavy socks and mittens and... <laughs> oh, well... Brown understands. He also has in his care a certain little package. A surprise. Surprise, my dear? Oh, no. After all, I wouldn't try to surprise you. It's just a woolen neck scarf I'd be knitting for you. It's likely to be cold up in the Baltic, even now. Yes. I don't like cold. You're, you're very thoughtful. Oh, dear. I hope... I do hope so much that you'll be back before the winter. Oh, so do I. <clears throat> I... I love you, Barbara. Boatman's alongside, sir, if you're ready. Yes, Brian. Well, 
Now, my dear, we're... Well, you're going out by the ordinary lugger. I, I could come too. He could bring me no, back. No, no, no. That would be foolish. Look at that choppy sea. It'd be quite wet and cold. I wouldn't mind. Well, I may even be seasick in that nutshell. Sometimes I am, you know, just at the start. I, I shouldn't like you to have you witness my uh, capitulation. <laughs> oh, my dear girl. I've been such a fool. It, 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 it's all my fault. I, I see it now. What, what have I done to our, our sweet life together? I, I needn't have taken Shush. this... Just think of the high compliment you're paid by this command. Oh, your ships are beautiful. Yes, but dearest, to, to leave you now. I, oh, I was much too proud, much too impulsive. I, I should have told them that I... Well... <laughs> and stayed at home. You, darling. Oh, don't be absurd. Brown's in the boat with all your gear. They're waiting. You must go. Thank you, me, Barbara. Oh, need you ask that? You'll write me everything? Mm. Everything, won't yes, you? Yes. The bad things, too. Of course. Well, goodbye, Barbara. Goodbye. Come back to me. Come back to me. It touched me that she should say that. Come back to me like any witless wife of any common seaman. As if by some power of my own I could control French cannon shot. But it made me love her all the more. It made my heart ache, too, that she should say such foolish things for all her pride and elegance. A little lugger pitched and rolled, a long trip all alone out to my ship. Oh, I could have let her come along. It would have done no harm. They'd seen me from the Nonsuch as we came tossing up the wind and laid into the big two-deckers, Lee. My old friend Bush, as captain, had turned the whole crew out, full dress, and I was piped aboard with all the honours of a Commodore. The ship and every man aboard was in a state of polish. Bright brass work, six side boys in white gloves, the whole Marine Guard and their band... A double lane of bosun's mates with pipes. <laughs> a childish display, perhaps some say it is, but... Well, it has its... Uh, <clears throat> well, exhilaration somehow. There was old Bush on the quarterdeck, surrounded by his officers, and all saluting stiffly. I had to check myself or I might actually have beamed. <laughs> that would have been ruinous to discipline, so naturally I just stalked up the line, hand at salute. Morning, Captain Bush. Good morning, sir. Welcome aboard. Oh, sometime since we've met, Captain Bush. Bush was stiff and correct, but his craggy face kept softening up at me as if he wanted me to laugh. This made it very difficult, of course, before the men. You'll note, sir, that your pennant's going up. Right. Commodore's flag to designate your ship in the flotilla. Oh, well, indeed. Well, <clears throat> well, Captain Bush, we shall get underway at once, if you don't mind. No time to lose. Be good enough to signal the others of the squadron. Aye, aye, sir. Very good. We sail on secret orders. I'll apprise you of their nature, Captain Bush, if you'll kindly dine with me this afternoon. You old sea urchin. <coughs> I, um, I shall be there, sir. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Adams, pass the word to our five other ships. Underway at once and keep formation. Aye, aye, sir. Underway. Anything wrong, sir? Not Bush. Oh, I see you scowling off to starboard, sir. Uh, may I find your glass? No. Is it the sloops? No, 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 no. It's nothing, Bush. <clears throat> no, I was just trying to make out the jetty. My wife's there. Hmm. Uh, mist hasn't quite cleared yet, has it?
Michael Redgrave returns as Horatio Hornblower. And now, continuing our story, Michael Redgrave as Horatio Hornblower awaits his old friend, Captain Bush, in his Commodore's cabin aboard the flagship Nonesuch. Come in. Oh, Brown. Captain Bush will be dining with me here. Be sure the things come up hot from the galley, will you? Of course, sir. I finished your unpacking. I trust it's satisfactory, sir. I um, placed the gift from Lady Barbara there on the um, bulkhead shelf. Yes, I, I saw it, Brown. Oh, it's a beautiful neck scarf, sir. Such fine, soft wool. Yes. I was um, to remind you to wear it, sir. Cold morning. Yes, yes, yes. All right. I'll, I'll consider it. Come in. Ah, Captain Bush. I'll go and bring you dinner, sir. Well, well, alone at last. Look, you know you had me grinning like some absurd schoolboy up there this morning. I, I was so proud, uh, so flattered that you'd ask for me, Horatio. I scarcely... Well, come on, sit down. Our dinner will be coming any minute. I, I'm glad to see you, my old friend. Oh, well, let's go down to things of more importance. Hmm? Ah, look, I've been studying my so-called secret orders in these charts. We're headed for the Skagerrak, my friend. I was inclined to think so, sir. Then through the Kattegat and up the Narrows. The Danes will resist, I suppose. Can't help themselves. Napoleon's on their backs. And uh, what about the Swedes? That's just what no one seems to know. It's touch and go, apparently, with both the Swedes and Russians. We have to be prepared for anything. Kattegat Sound is only three miles wide part of the way. Mm -hmm. Sweden to port, Denmark to starboard. Yes, real skiller and Charybdis, huh? Well, Bush, the powers that be have left decisions up to us, and we are going to have to improvise. Now, once we're off Göteborg, I, I'm going to try and pick up some fresh news on Swedish doings. Well, let's hope that Bernadotte is leaning our way by then, sir. Yes, Bush. If not, we'll simply have to blast our way in somehow. <laughs> Up through the North Sea, into the Skagerrak. And scarcely a sail sighted off our bows the whole first week. Deserted waters, even in the Skagerrak off Denmark. Now and then we'd see a tiny fishing boat far off, none within hail. We had no news. We strained our eyes for some revealing sign. Had Bernadotte made up his mind by now? Were he and Russia enemies, neutrals, or, or even friends, if handled sensibly? Before sunrise, I found Bush on the quarterdeck. Well, still no news. Are we to run the gauntlet, then? We're nearing the Helsingborg Narrows. I wonder, Bush, how many guns are on that Swedish shore. Multitude, sir, you may be sure. The charts show a good dozen forts. Shouldn't we send a boat in, sir? Find out how Sweden stands? Well, last night I thought so, Bush. It has its logic, I admit. On the other hand, a, a boat would surely advertise our presence. But, sir, if both sides of the Kattegat are hostile... Well, we could dash in the moment there is light enough to see the channel, surprise them, and, and perhaps get through, even if Sweden does resist. Mm, yes, sir, but uh, then if Sweden has joined Bonaparte, won't we be bottled up inside the Baltic? Well, the Baltic is a sizable sea, Bush. I suspect we could maintain ourselves a while. Yes. Still almost an hour till dawn... That gives us time to clear our decks. Yes. I think we'll go in, Bush, this morning. Very good, sir. Hoist the yardarm lanterns. Signal all vessels clear for action, if you please. Aye, aye, sir. 
All hands to quarters. Mr. Adams, clear for action. Pass the word. All ships to clear for action. Aye, aye, sir. All ships to clear for action. An hour had passed. We came into the narrow channel just as the dawn broke in a dour grey mist. To starboard, hostile Denmark. To port, the riddle, Sweden. Was she our enemy? Well, we'd soon know at all events. Are the guns run out, Captain Bush? Aye, aye, sir. And the fire pumps manned on every ship. Here's for it, then. Uh, what signal for hoisting to our other ships, sir? The signal is, proceed to leeward in battle order. Lotus shall lead. Lotus shall lead, sir, did you say? I did. But, but, uh... <laughs> we'll bring up the rear bush, naturally. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I know, I know. It's disappointing not to lead, but we are the shepherd of this little flock. We're the best built. The lead ships might get through before those shore gunners wake up. Hmm? They're awake already, hmm? Which shore fired that? The Danes. They've seen us, sir. Yes, there's the drift of smoke to starboard, see? Batteries firing to starboard, Captain Bush. Yes, Mr. Adams, so I gather. By the way, did you know that those low cliffs are Elsinore, where Hamlet walked? I beg your pardon, sir. Yeah, never mind, never mind. We've no time now for literary small talk, have we? Signal to Lotus, Mr. Bush. Return the fire to starboard. We'll keep exact station astern of the harbour, if you please. I say, Lotus and Clam are giving back as good as they're getting, huh? They are, they are. Bush, Bush, this channel's full of shoals. I remember that from years ago. I remember too, sir. I've put leadsmen in the chains. They'll sing out when we're reaching shallow water. Good, good, good. The sloops and the three others don't draw as much as we well, Let me compliment you, Bush. You've thought of everything. Well, Brown? Your next sculpture. Oh, nonsense. In the midst of an action, how dare you come up here? It's and... very cold this early in the morning. Begging your pardon, sir. I had my orders. You'll recall. Oh, get below, Brown. All, all right, all right. Give me the scarf. Yes, the air is a bit chilly. With Elsinore abaft, the channel widened, and we were out of range from shore. There'd be about an hour, I reckon, before we reached the further narrows, a longer gauntlet to be run. And at its end, two Danish islands, Saltholm and Amagam. We had to pass between these, close to both. Full daylight now, they'd see us coming. We could no longer profit by surprise. But anyhow, all hands at breakfast and relaxed and waited, as I knew, for the real test. An infernal din of guns broke out as we approached the channel. Well, well, our starboard guns can speak together after all. Well done. I wasn't too sure about that at Elsinore. A little ragged. So far, the Swedish guns had all stayed silent. And as if to make up for that, though, the Danes were throwing in everything they had at us. Salt home and wider waters seemed a very long way off. I found myself walking up and down. Well, that wouldn't do. Indifference is expected from a Commodore. So I stood still and looked about me casually. By the deep six and a half six! Six fathoms are quite ample, aren't they, Bush, with the tide making? I think so, sir. I wouldn't care to risk less than five, though, just now. By the mark, six! Put another leadsman on the port chains quickly, Adams. Look, Bush, Salt home and Amager at last. You see them rearing up ahead there? Both bristling, I'll be bound. 
Yes? Smoke bursting from Amagar already. This tells the story, doesn't it? Sawtoom is where they keep their powder stored. And the hard five! And the hard five, sir! Shaving a shoal, that's certain. I hope... Bush, the Harvey's hit. The Harvey's hit. Our men must come. Shrouds are trailing. Quarterless five! Quarterless five! We're nearing those shoals, too. Harvey's quite helpless, eh? Oh, yes, 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 I see. Oh, damnable luck, Bush. We'll be a long sider in a moment. Back the main tops! Stand by with the heaving lines there! Help the lead! Give me that speaking trumpet, huh? Aboard the Harvey there! Can you hear me? Aye, aye, sir. I'm Lieutenant Smith, sir. Anyone injured, Mr. Smith? Lieutenant Mound, sir, knocked unconscious. And two men killed when the shells struck. We'll bring Mr. Mound aboard here, then. Send men down for him, Captain Bush. Cut that wreckage away smartly and stand by to receive our lines. What's that? Are we hit too? Our uh, mizzen topmast's gone. By the mark, five! By the mark, five! Ah, that's better. We must be bearing off the shoals. Near hit that one. The reaching is much too easily from Saltholm. I don't like it. Yes, sir. Short range. Uh, now that we're delayed... Now, look here. Those powder stores of theirs. Let's make a try for those. They, they might lie just beyond the highest fort. It seems fairly logical. Why not? But, sir, how do we know where to... Aye, aye, sir. Certainly. Mr. Adams, have starboard batteries raise sights. Try for a hit beyond that big red fort. Say by... Uh, by... Um, 15 yards. By 15 yards. Uh, pass the word, Adams, instantly. Starboard batteries, prepare to fire. Target at 15 yards past the red fort. 15 yards past the red fort. Wild idea, I suppose, Bush, but we simply can't sit here till the harbour is in tow. It's too much like duck hunting with the none such as the duck. Ready? It's no good, sir. And the Harvey's got us trapped under those guns. They'll sink her any minute, and us with her. Let's try another salvo, Bush. Twenty yards beyond the port this time. Pass the word, Adams. Twenty yards. Target at twenty yards past the same port. Ready? Fire! Awesome, sir. That blast. I think, why, yes, it's even taken the fort with it. That fort and all its guns. At least they're singularly silent. I still don't quite believe my eyes. A lucky guess in place of sound ballistics, eh? <laughs> that makes no sense. Well, <clears throat> yeah, to business now. Where's my trumpet? Oh. Mr. Smith! Mr. Smith! Have you our lines? Are they secure? You ready to get out of here? Aye, aye, sir. One more moment, sir. Well, the cable's coming over now. We'll take you out Starn first, understand? Stand by for the cable, men. Starn first, Dickie. Well, sir, not a bad afternoon. Harvey's in tow. Lotus took one poor hit. We have a hole or two in our own shrouds, but no ship's lost. I shan't forget what we did to those powder stores on Saltholm. Mm, yes, uh, that was a satisfactory moment. There's been no firing for a good ten minutes. They can't quite reach us anymore. We'll sail round Falsterbo, clear of all batteries, I think. I'm a bit tired. Um, Adams, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Adams, has Mr. Mound been brought up yet? Yes, sir. He's aft. 
Unconscious now. The sergeant's with him. Right, I want to see him. Concussion and bad shoulder wound. Come a little blood about the face and throat. Take it easy. Well, here you are, mind. Surgeon taking care of you all right? Yes. Thank you, sir. I'm quite all right. We're taking you below the sick bay in a moment. I'm proud of all my young officers today, mind. They're not too uncomfortable, I hope. Did all of us get through, sir? All our ships? That we did, man. What pleases me, those Danish guns raked us with all they had, but not one shell from Sweden's coast. They're, they're not against us yet, at any rate. He's shivering, Adams. It's cold this afternoon. Here, put this scarf around his neck and shoulders. I don't need it. But, sir, he's bleeding on your scarf. Oh, come on, take it. <clears throat> oh, well, then, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Is that better, man? Ah, yes, sir. Wonderful. Thank you. We hailed a fishing boat a few minutes ago, Mound. Found out the Blanche Fleur passed through the Baltic yesterday. Big French corvette with at least 20 guns. She must be just ahead of us. Well, you'll have to get well quickly, Mound. Won't want to miss the fun, will you? Wiggins. Why? Why? Why, it's from... I thought so, milady. I'm very pleased for you. My dearest wife, I found a means of sending this brief note to you by way of Sweden. I want you to know that all is well with us here in the Baltic. On the whole, we've had a remarkably quiet time. Few slightly sticky moments getting in. The Danes on shore showed a bit of ill temper, but there's very little to report that isn't merely ship's routine. Oh, my dear. My dear, you're such a bare-faced liar, I'm sure. But I do love you very much. It is my hope that somehow I shall soon receive letters from England and know thereby that you are well and happy. I'm sure you will like hearing that Brown takes magnificent care of me passes over me far too much. He seems to think that in doing so, he's following someone's orders. I can't think who. <laughs> the weather is surprisingly fine. You'll be glad to know that it's quite warm. I haven't even needed the handsome scarf you needed lately. But rest assured, that all goes well with me. I send you my whole, my heartfelt love, my dear. Horatio. Horatio Hornblower, starring Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. The radio script was written by Philo Higley. Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.
Call all hands. Beat to quarters. Come out the guns. Stand by this tower battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Linstock's ready. Aye, aye, sir. Ready. Fire! Michael Redgrave as C.S. Forrester's indomitable man of the sea, Horatio Hornblower. on the mad Don Julian, who believed himself a divine being and above the laws of men. While I waited, I considered my best course of action. There was a chance that the Spanish ship might come in from sea, in which case, with half my crew ashore, I would be in a hopeless case. On the other hand, I had lookouts aloft and I was frantic to secure stores, lest Don Julian's rebellion should come to a sudden and bloody ending. There are 400 cattle awaiting your orders, Captain. My men are driving onto the beach. Good. The sugar is ready at El Supremo's mill. With regard to the tobacco, which special kind do you prefer? Well, for some time, we, we've only been rolling cigars for our own consumption. I was hard put to it to suppress my delight at the mention of cigars. It was three months since I'd seen one. My men used Virginia pigtail twist, but that would be unobtainable on this coast. I waved a careless hand. Well, send as many cigars as will be convenient to you, and, uh, well, such other tobacco as you have on hand. Si, senor. Uh, the coffee, vegetables, and eggs will be easy, but uh, with regard to the bread, uh, Your Excellency will forgive me, but in this country we have only maize. Uh, there is a little wheat grown in the Tierra Templada, but it rests in the hands of the unenlightened. Uh, would maize flour suffice? This is serious. English sailors are unaccustomed to maize flour. <laughs> I know, Your Excellency, but I can only obtain wheat flour by fighting for it. And I know that El Supremo would not like me to fight at present. El Supremo will be angry. Very well, I'll, I'll agree to use maize flour, but uh, to make up for it, I shall require something else. Uh-huh. I want drink for my men. Is there uh, wine here or any ardent spirit? The people on this coast, sir, drink an ardent spirit with which you are perhaps not acquainted. What's that? 
It is distilled from the waste of the sugar mills from Trickle, Your Excellency. From Bayern? Uh, <clears throat> yes, Senor. Would that be of any use to you? Uh, uh, I shall accept it in lieu of anything better. In fact, of course, my heart was leaping with joy. It would appear a miracle to my officers that I should cleanse a rum and tobacco from this volcano-ridden coast. Ah, thank you, senor. And uh, shall we begin to slaughter the cattle now? This was a decision I'd been postponing ever since I'd heard of the arrival of the cattle. I tested the sea breeze. It was not nearly so strong as yesterday, and the weaker the breeze, the less chance of the Natividad coming in to interrupt the revittling. I took the plunge. Uh, very well, Senor. We uh, we will start now. of meat, and on board the purser and his crew toiled like slaves in the roasting heat, cramming the brine barrels with meat. Sacks of flour, anchors of rum, bales of tobacco, the hands sweated as they swayed these things up from the boats. The Lydia was gorging herself full, and in return I kept my side of the bargain. Mr. Bush, you may release the muskets and kegs of powder and shot which we brought for Don Julian. You send it ashore. Hernandez will arrange its transport then. Aye, aye, sir. And then, on the second evening, as I walked the quarter deck looking forward to my dinner of roast fowl, reveling in the thought that I was now free of the land for another six months if necessary, I heard a sound from the shore which filled me with horror. You put those muskets down! Mr. Galbraith! You're in command here. What's the meaning of this? Sir, I, I don't exactly know. They've been torturing a poor devil up there, sir. Lashed into a spa, left him to die of thirst. Silence! Galbraith, I addressed you. I don't know how it began, sir. A party came running back from up there. They had Smith with them, wounded. He's dead now. Yeah, if another man speaks without orders, I'll have him in irons. Mr. Galbraith. I saw they were going to attack us, so I had the Marines fired. Oh, did you? I'll speak to you later, Mr. Galbraith. You, Jenkins. You, Poole. What were you doing up there? You knew the order that no one was to go beyond the creek? Tomorrow morning, I'll show you what orders mean. As I spoke, I heard a horse galloping up. It was Hernandez, riding as fast as he could. As Hernandez slid from his horse, I turned on him. Did El Supremo give orders for this attack on my men? No, Capitan. I think he will not be too pleased with you when I tell him of it. Your men tried to release a man condemned to death. That does not permit your men to kill mine. The inhabitants are angry and discontented. The whole country has been swept to find food for you. The criminal was condemned to death for driving his pigs into the country so that they should not be given to you. It was a delicate situation. I was anxious to be conciliatory if I could do so without angering my men. And I was about to lead Hernandez aside and soften my tone when... A sheep! A sheep is coming! Where is the sheep? 
Ah! Your Excellency, this man has been watched from the mountain. Yes? From there he could see the sails of a ship coming towards the bay. He says he has often seen the Natividad, and he's sure it is the same ship. How far off is she? A capable city? A long minus. Ah! He says a long way, seven leagues or more. She's coming from the direction of Panama. Mr. Galbraith? Sir? Get your men aboard with all expedition. My compliments to Lieutenant Bush and desire him to clear for action and beat hands to quarters. Aye, aye, sir. A stream of plans and ideas was flooding my mind. I estimated that with the land breeze, the Natividad could be in the bay by midnight. On the other hand, I knew the Spanish habit of snugging down for the night and of not attempting any complicated piece of seamanship unless absolutely necessary. I wished I knew more about the Spanish captain. Tell me, senor, has this ship often come into this bay? Yes, senor, often. Is sir, captain a good seaman? A very good seaman, sir. Uh, <clears throat> a landsman's opinion of seamanship was not worth much, but still, it was an indication. I was still uncertain what to do. If I went to sea and engaged the Natividad on open water, the two ships might well batter each other into wrecks, rigging and spars, hulls and sails. I should suffer casualties which I could not replace here in the Pacific. I should expend priceless ammunition. Yet if I stayed in the bay and the plan I had in mind did not succeed, I should have to beat my way out of the bay against the breeze in the morning, presenting the Spaniard with every advantage. The Natividad's size and superiority of guns were already such as to make the outcome of such a battle hazardous. Yet the possible gains of remaining in the bay were so enormous that I took my decision. I would run the risk. no sail, lest a gleam of canvas become visible to the distant ship at sea. The launch and cutter were towing the ship, sounding as they went into the deep water at the foot of the island which marked the entrance of the bay. Manguera Island, it was called. I found myself pacing my tiny cabin, though it would be at least four hours before the Natividad could reach the entrance of the bay. I checked myself furiously. I must show the ship that I could face uncertainty with indifference. All we are. Sir, my compliments to Mr. Bush and tell him that if he can spare Mr. Galbraith, Mr. Clay and Mr. Savage from their duties, I'd be glad if they'd sup with me and have a hand of whist. <laughs> well, I think, gentlemen, it's almost time we went on deck. The rubber would not be over if Mr. Savage had paid attention to the score. <laughs> At the eighth trick, he should have played his ace of hearts instead of risking the finesse. I grant that the finesse had been successful. Had it been, it would have uh, won him two more tricks. But... <laughs> 
officer, but you can see her when your eyes get used to it. She's still heading for the bay. Everyone's at his post, sir. Mm. And now, until the last moment, everything must be done with as much silence as possible. Send the hands aloft ready to set sail. Aye, aye, sir. Bosun, hands aloft. Quietly, if you value your life. I hurried forward along the gangway, past the forecastle carronades with their crews crouching round them, and swung myself over onto the bowsprit. I could see round the corner of the island. Natividad was heading straight for me. I could almost hear the sound of her passage through the water. I heard the voice of the man at the lead. I could hear the voices of her crew, all jabbering, and nobody looking out well enough to see our spars. And then, the moment I was waiting for, orders for the Natividad to go about. This was the time. From my pocket, I drew my silver whistle and blew. Start again as the Lydia surged forward. Well, uh, steady. Steady, dear sir. Water a little. Water a little, sir. Right, sir. Water, sir. Hard as starboard. Hard as starboard, dear sir. The Natividad had no time to gather way upon her new course before we came leaping out of the blackness and rasped alongside her. Months of drill bore fruit in that moment. had been engrossed with the work of the ship, with no enemy nearer than 4,000 miles away, seemingly. The next minute, our ship had come crashing out of the darkness. The night had been torn to shreds with a flare of guns. On every hand, men were struck down by hurtling shot, and now an armed host, yelling like fiends from the pit, poured aboard. The most disciplined crew could hardly have stood the shock. Yet some of the officers were hardy souls. They drew their swords and made a stand. Spanish seamen were gathering together in the darkness to defend the hatchways when the second part of my plan came into operation. The two boats full of men, which I had dispatched before we engaged, had prized open the lower deck ports of the Spaniards' port side, and now they came swarming in. The Spending it in imagination. 
But while the rejoicing went on, I was considering my next step. Immediately pressing problem was what to do with the Natividad, and especially its crew. I couldn't bear the thought of handing them over to that cold-blooded madman who called himself El Supremo. Although I was pledged to assist him in his rebellion against the Spanish rule, I felt no desire to assist him in mass murder. However, my next move was decided for me by the arrival of Hernandez from the shore. Capitan, El Supremo wishes to see you at once. My boat is waiting. addressing me, do not use the expression, senor. As I told you, I am divine. You may call me El Supremo. I believe that in your own language, that term means the Almighty. It is hardly sufficient to describe my divinity, but it will suffice. I could only bow. I dare not trust myself to speak. He was quite unconscious of having said anything at all remarkable. The navigating officers are still alive? Yes, uh, uh, Supremo. Then I will take the Natividad into my service. I will kill the executive officers and replace them with my own. The others and the common sailors will serve me. I had to think quickly. The Natividad is the prize of my king. Perhaps he would not be pleased if I let her go. He would certainly be displeased if he knew you had offended me. I have noticed before, Captain Hornblower, that you have verged upon disrespect towards me, and I have been mild enough to attribute it to your foreign breeding. I sighed to think England would lose a fine frigate and a fine opportunity. I realized that I must sacrifice my prize money and flatter this autocrat a little longer. But I was determined to preserve my prisoners' lives. I am sure it is my foreign breeding which is to blame, Supremo, but... Well, how could it possibly be imagined that I could be lacking in respect to El Supremo? The ship is yours. Ah. General Hernandez. Make arrangements for 500 men to go aboard the ships at noon. I will sail with them, and so will you. Certainly, Supremo. Is the Lydia to have the honor of carrying El Supremo to La Libertad? Uh, my crew would greatly appreciate the distinction. Naturally, they would. So I left the great Don Julian and hurried back down the mountain. Once I had him aboard the Lydia, I was confident of being able to deal with him more easily. My officers were waiting to receive me when I rode out to the ship. Mr. Bush, sir, kindly instruct my steward to put out my best uniform and make ready the after cabin for a state dinner for eight people at six bills. <laughs> 
Aye, aye, sir. Um, in case your guests should require a salute, sir, may I ask their rank? You may, Mr. Bush. Uh, <coughs> we are entertaining the Almighty. The Almighty? Conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.